Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. I'm Jay Vineyard. If, if for those I haven't had the opportunity to meet, I have the best job in the church. I go to a great church, too, so that's awesome. Um, today's service is going to be a little different. Normally, we follow the pattern of, of the music, announcements, music, and then the sermon. Today, we got the sermon at the front end of things. And the reason we're doing that is that we want to provide you an opportunity just to have personal reflection. And so after, uh, after the sermon, we'll be led through music, through prayer, and scripture reading that will lead up to where we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So today is what we call Palm Sunday. And as we started this morning's service, uh, we had read for us our verse for the day, Matthew 21, I invite you to look in your Bibles to that passage, Matthew 21. We're looking at verses 1 through 11. And uh, if you missed it, uh, go ahead and connect to it and go ahead and read it as we, uh, as we delve into what Scripture is saying to us this morning. And as we look at that particular Scripture, uh, what, what Matthew is doing for us is that he's providing information in detail on the first day of the last week of Jesus' public ministry. And what we find with not only Matthew, but all of the gospel writers is they give a, a great deal of information to us about this one week. In fact, proportionately, it's significantly more content on this last week than actually the three years previous in Jesus' life. And the reason for that is that the writers are saying this is important, the, the triumphal entry, the trial, the crucifixion, the resurrection are central to the heart of our gospel. It is important that we understand what is being taught and apply it to our lives. So this morning, we're going to look at the triumphal entry and what that might mean for us and the life applications that we might want to take from today. Now, as we look back in history, when Matthew chapter 21 unfolds, it's Sunday. It's the Sunday before Passover. Now, Passover historically among the Hebrews was a time of great celebration. It was a time of great excitement for the people of Israel. Normally, the historians teach us normally the, the city of Jerusalem would hold about fifty to 60,000 people. But when it came to Passover, pilgrims from around the world would converge on Jerusalem and they say to us that the population grew from fifty or 60,000 to over 120,000. The numbers were so vast that people couldn't sleep in Jerusalem that they had to camp out on the hillside and the surrounding towns. And then they would come to Jerusalem during the day to worship in the temple. But it seems that this Passover is different. There's a sense of anticipation that this Passover brings that has not been felt in previous years. And the reason is Jesus is coming. For the last three years, it's obvious as Jesus lived out of his ministry that 
He was more than just a prophet. He was more than just a good teacher. The miracles, the signs, the healings, the the way he taught pointed to the fact that this was God in flesh. Or as as Matthew said in his opening chapters, he was Emmanuel, God with us. We look at the life of Jesus in the the fever pitch in which the people felt at this moment. They looked at him and they said, he is a man who is taught like we've never heard before. He's a man who's taught with power. He has claimed to forgive sins and restore relationships to God. He has healed the sick. He has healed the lepers. He has cast out demons. He raised Jairus' daughter. He fed the 5,000. He restored sight to the blind. This Jesus is more than just a prophet. And then just a few days before this event, just a few days before he was making his triumphal entry, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Keep a sense of history and perspective. Just a few days before, in Bethany. Now, Bethany is only a mile and a half from Jerusalem. So you remember the crowds that are out in the, in the, in, in the fields camping out? You know that they extended out into Bethany, and all of a sudden, here comes Jesus, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Can you imagine the excitement that was building amongst the people whenever they were talking to one another? This Jesus. He's done some things, but, buddy, he pulled a big one this time. He raised the dead. Now, there are some people that would say, well, you know, Lazarus, he he was just probably in a coma. He probably wasn't dead. And that is, when people say that, they don't realize that at that time they knew death. They were around death all the time. When the skin is green and you're stiff, you're dead. And then they prepared the body. And the meticulous way in which they prepared the body, Lazarus was dead. Jesus said, come forth. So can you imagine the excitement that was building as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem as the crowds went out and they were yelling, Hosanna. Now what do we learn? through the triumphal entry. Well, I found some things I'd like to share with you that I think might help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. The first thing that I notice is that the symbolism around the triumphal entry. And you'll notice that as we started, that the people put their cloaks beneath Jesus, and then they took, in Matthew it talks about they cut down branches. But if you fast forward to John, He calls it the palm leaf. Now, the palm leaves were important because it was a symbol of Jewish nationalism. In fact, many times on the coins of that day, they had imprinted the palm leaf. And basically, it was an expression that we want to be free from the tyranny of of another another country. We want to be free of the tyranny of the Romans. It actually goes back in the history to the Maccabean period where they longed to be free and that God would restore them to the glory that they knew under Solomon. 
So basically, whenever they were putting the cloak under the uh, Jesus, when they put the palm leaves, the cloak said, you are someone of authority. You are a king. When they put the palm branches down, they were saying, but we expect you to be the messianic, to deliver us from the tyranny of the Romans. Missed it. Then the donkey. Now, let's be honest. If you and I lived in that day, and we were just observing what was going on, we might look at one another and think, a donkey? Really? Guys, that's as good as you could get for Jesus is a donkey? What is going on with those boys? Because we know that if somebody's coming in that has power, they don't come in in the Volkswagen, do they? They come in on the big limousine. They come in in something that shouts out and says, I am somebody. And so we would expect Jesus not to come in on a donkey. We want him on a big horse. We want something that shouts out to us of who he really is. But Matthew's meticulous in pointing out the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, when we think of prophecy that leads to Jesus, we, we often think about it as it leads to his birth. We miss the fact that there was fulfillment of prophecy that lead, led to his death and his resurrection. And Matthew points that out that he will come in on unwritten coat, on a donkey, in the fulfillment of prophecy. But also, the donkey represented an animal of peace. If you came in on a horse, that is an animal of victory and war. The donkey is an animal of peace. But then, we also think about Passover. We've already talked about Passover a little bit, but let's provide a little bit more information about Passover. For those of us who grew up in church, Passover, it's a familiar word to us. We probably know some about Passover. Uh, if you've never been to church that much, maybe Passover is, uh, is not something that you're familiar with. So let's do a little bit of background to help you understand the importance of Passover and how it connected to Jesus coming in at this time. Passover began in Exodus. And you remember that the Hebrews were in bondage to Egypt. They are in bondage to Pharaoh. And what was required is a redeemer-deliverer. The Bible points out that Moses came. And you remember when Moses came against Pharaoh, he called out plagues on the people of Egypt. And the reason for that is that Pharaoh set himself up to be a god. And by the plagues, God is saying, Pharaoh, you're not all of that. I am God. But Pharaoh had a hard heart, and he resisted God. And in the last plague, Moses instructed the people, said, I want you to, to take a perfect lamb, and you're to sacrifice the lamb. And then you're to take the blood and you're to put it on the thresholds of your doors. Take the blood on the threshold. And then the death angel is coming. And when the death angel comes, he will see the blood and he will pass over your heart. You know the story the next day. The people of Israel were delivered from the chains of slavery. 
Now keep in mind, Jesus could have come into Jerusalem any day, but he chose Passover. Why? I think it signifies something for us. We are in bondage. And in the bondage that is described in the Bible is worse than any human bondage that we can find ourselves in. The Bible talks about a bondage to sin. The Bible talks about that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And so whenever we think about Passover, what Jesus is saying is that I am the Passover lamb. Now our problem in, in today's in, in our culture is that we don't see sin like God sees it. We, we make way too light over sin. We, we drop into comparatives. So I'm looking at somebody else and say, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than me. Well, I'm not perfect. I, I, I'm better than her. So I've got to be all right. And maybe the thing that we as Christians need to do is get the perspective of sin as God understands it and describes it. Maybe what we need to do is see sin in the backdrop to his holiness. Because when we do, we begin to understand in a deeper way what it means to be forgiven, what it means to live a life based on love, what it means to experience grace and mercy. We will never understand that as long as we keep on propping ourselves up trying to declare our essential goodness. You see, the people of Israel, as you look back in their history, particularly right as in the deliverance, the Bible really describes them that they were hopeless. They were helpless. They couldn't get out on their own. They were in bondage. They couldn't live a life that God, they were designed to be, and they needed to live. And that's the picture that we have today. We're hopeless. We're helpless. We're in bondage. But thank be to God, who is our Redeemer and our Deliverer. This week, I came across a statement by Timothy Keller. If you, if you like to read books by good authors, get anything that Timothy Keller writes. He, has, he, he put the ink, what I think is the best description for us that describes Easter. You're going to see it on the board, on the screen. You might want to write it down, but let me give you a, a few sentences before we get to what's on the screen. Kenneth Key Keller said this, God made a good, beautiful world filled with beings to share in this life of joy and peace by knowing, loving, and serving God and one another. Instead of the life that God had for us, we chose to center life around ourselves and on the pursuit of things, rather than on God and others. This led to a breakdown of creation, a loss of peace, a loss of relationship with others, and ultimately a breakdown in our relationship with God. Now catch this. This is the, this is the cool part. But God entered history in the person of Jesus to deal with the causes and the results of our broken relationship with God. Look up here. Jesus lived the life that we were created to live, and he died 
to pay the debt of sin incurred for the life that we actually live. By his resurrection, he showed that death is now defeated and he has showed us the future. Amen. But then, if you think about Revelation 5, Revelation 5 coins it like this. And it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That is the central message of Easter. So I wondered, as I read Exodus, God was, he, he was instructive to the Hebrews. He said, now, when you go from here, weekly or, or annually, I want you to celebrate Passover. I wondered why. And I think it is because they needed spiritual reminders of God's activity in their lives. In fact, the, a pattern existed that as, as they moved and acted and were obedient, and God uh, showed himself, and they learned more about God. He said, now, I want you to build a t- uh, an altar here, and here is what I want you to remember, what you learned about me at this point. And they needed it because they were so busy. They got caught up in the day-to-day life that they would forget. You know, we need those spiritual reminders as well, don't we? Isn't it amazing how fast-paced we are? I mean, this activity going on all the time. And what happens is, is that God's moving in our lives can become distant. It can become... So here's what I'd like to challenge you with this morning. I'd like for you to challenge you to take all of the gospel the narratives of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, triumphal entry, all the way to his resurrection. And as you do that, just pause long and I say, God, what, what am I learning here? Re, re, but rekindle in me. Make it new to me so I can have a new walk Let me try that. But then, as I looked at this passage, I, I began to wonder who was in the crowd. Now, normally, whenever we think of the triumphal entry, we, we always seem to focus on Jesus, and, and that's a good person to focus on, right? right? And the disciples. But I, I took a, a different view of that. And in this view, the, as we think about the faces in the crowd, you actually might find yourself. I first thought about the Romans. They were in the crowd. They had to be observing what was going on as, every, as the people out saying, Hosanna. And I wondered, how did they feel? I mean, were they scornful? Were they indifferent? Were they concerned? Were they angry? You know, I don't know. But I do know this, is that much about their religion, their faith system. And I do know that the monotheistic view was a bewildering thing to them. In other words, that the Jews believe in one God, they had a hard time understanding. For them, they would borrow from any belief system. They say, okay, I'll take from here, I'm 
going to take from here, I'm going to take from here, I'm going to take from here. Whatever it is that can give me power, I'm going to take. And it led to spiritual confusion to the point where the Romans couldn't figure out what is right and wrong, what is truth. And you remember in John when, when Jesus and Pilate are having this conversation, Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Something we don't understand. In our day, we, we live in a very spiritually confusing day, don't we? I think more than any time in history in our country, this is a spiritually confusing day. And here's what it seems to be the message. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Now, I really wish that principle worked when I was in school. How about you? I mean... I was sincere in those answers. I was wrong, but buddy, I was sincere. Well, here was Jesus, and he had the audacity to say, No, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So, what's the difference? Christianity and every world religion and how it's spelled. For many years I taught this as I, as I worked with pastors across our state. I said the world religions of the day is do. You have this long laundry list of things that you have to do to win God's favor. You, you and hopefully by doing all of these things, it might outweigh all the bad things that I do. Christianity is spelled done. It's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And as Paul said, that our salvation is not by works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. And we receive it on the basis of faith. That is the biggest distinction between Christianity and any other religion. Well, also in the crowd, you had the religious leaders. These religious leaders were always seemed to be the antagonist in Jesus' life, they were always the ones that were pushing back on him. And I often wondered why. Now, quite honestly, I used to be pretty hard on them. Until I, as I got older, I realized if, if I was then alive then, that would have been me. But what was it that concerned the religious leaders of the day about Jesus? Well, I see that first that they saw him as a threat. They saw him as a threat to their, their position, their power, their prestige, and their perks. And the truth of the matter is that Jesus is a threat to us. He's a threat to our self-centered living. He's a, he's a threat to our personal agendas that lie outside of his will for us. Well, particularly when he says, you follow me. Then, I think this is 
a little bit more subtle, but I think a lot of us would be guilty of this. That they were so caught up in the rituals that they missed a fresh movement. And they're thinking, we, we, we're going to make God smile by, by doing all of the religious things. We, we're going to go to the temple. We're going to do our sacrifices. We're going to live a life of piety. We're going to do all of these things. And God's going to be happy with us. But yet Matthew, is, is Jesus describing and says, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. See, they dropped into the mindset that if I do these things, God smiles. And what Jesus is saying, no, it's about the relational. Our faith in Christ is relational. It's about being. We can fall into that. We can say, well, we're going to go to church. We're going to go serve. And maybe God will be happy. We lose sight. But it's not about doing it. Cultivating this relationship with the Lord because sometimes we can get so caught up in activity that we miss a fresh movement from God. That happened to me. Yeah, it happened. Well, then we think about the crowd. Here was the crowd that was celebrating Jesus' entry one day. And then, later that week, they were crying out for his crucifixion. And I wonder why, because he did not fulfill their expectations. They were expecting Jesus to come and to be the messianic deliverer. In other words, that they were going to get rid of the Romans and restore Israel to prominence. And the problem is is that they didn't know him. They celebrated his entrance. They called others to come and to sing Hosanna, which basically means God save us. And when they were singing Hosanna, God save us, they were thinking, deliver us from our oppressors. But Jesus said, I've come to deliver you from your sin. He was, they were calling out, they're saying, Hosanna. Return the glory of Israel. But Jesus said, I want to change your life so that you can glorify me. I want to transform your home. I want to transform everything around you so that you can bring me glory. They simply... said, Lord, establish your kingdom. He said, no, my kingdom's not here. His kingdom is in our hearts. His kingdom is truth. His kingdom is goodness. His kingdom is righteousness. He's a humble king. He's a king of healing. He's a king of forgiveness. He's a king of love. Today, We need spiritual reminders, don't we? For the remainder of the service today, we're going to be a little different. In a moment, 
worship leaders are going to come and they're going to lead us in song. We invite you to sing with me. You may choose to stand and stay seated. And then at the conclusion of a song, you'll see a scripture verse on the screen. We're not going to read it out loud. You're going to be invited to read it in silence and contemplate its meaning briefly. And then we'll be led in prayer. And in that moment of prayer, we just ask that you bow your heads and at your seat, just enter into the presence of God. And then our pastor toward the end of the worship time will come and lead us in the Lord's Supper. Let's pray So, Father, remind us again of your coming into the world. Remind us of who we are. And Lord, restore in us the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.